Thank you so much, Seth. It's great to be back with you guys. Um, you, you've changed the place a little bit. It looks really good. So uh, it's fun to, fun to be back with you. I love this community. I love what God is doing. And uh, it's, it's just an honor to be back with you. And I want to talk about pleasure. And this is a topic that uh, Christians, I've learned, get really uncomfortable with this subject. And, uh, and it's one of those, we almost go like, are you, are you allowed to talk about this in church? Like, is this, is this, there's like some unspoken rule, we think, that you're not, not supposed to talk about pleasure in church. And, uh, and I just have realized in this process of working on the book that, that a lot of Christians get really funny about this. And one of the ways I realized it is when it came to pick a cover out for the book. And so my publisher came to me and they're like, what, what do you want on the cover? I'm like, I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. And they're like, well, what, like, what image to you captures you know, th- this idea of pleasure? And I realized it's a little bit tricky because it's a Christian book, so that limits your options down quite a bit. And, and so I'm like, I-, I don't know. And so I said, you know, just start sending me some ideas and let's work it out. And so I want to show you a few of the early drafts of this just to kind of illustrate how we don't really know what to do with this topic. So here's one of the first versions they sent me. Uh, yeah, so this is a couple, a couple cherries there. That's uh, not quite the angle I was thinking. And um, so I say, hey, let's, let's try another one. And so they sent me this next one. Now, that's beautiful. I mean, I would love to go take a vacation there. Um, the problem is I have no idea what that has to do with anything in the book. And so I said, well, I'm not, I'm not quite sure the connection there. So um, let's maybe go a different angle. So then they went like a, like a Greek statue. Like, you know, maybe that was like the idea of, of pleasure. And I was like, well, I mean, maybe we're getting closer, but, but we're still not there yet. And so finally we landed on this image, um, which is, uh, if you look at it closely, it's, a, you know, it's an apple or a fruit um, that has have two bites out of it. And, and uh, on each side are, are a face. You know, so it's a, a girl's face and a guy's face. Uh, a lot of people don't see the faces until you point it out to them. But, but I think that captures something about, you know, this idea of pleasure. Something's missing and something's kind of incomplete. And, and so we're trying to redeem it and, and go back to what, what does God say about it. And so that's what I want to share with you a little bit uh, today. Now, uh, whenever we, we uh, talk about pleasure, um, I, I can have like a prophetic moment with you here and tell you there's one word that I know comes to your mind. Sex. All right, there we go. <laughs> one bold person up front willing just to go for it. This is why I love this church. Normally people are like, I'm not saying it. It's church. I am not saying that. You guys are different. I like that about you. But it's the word sex, right? We go, yeah. Now, here's what you have to understand, okay? Uh, I didn't write a book on sex. I wrote a book on pleasure. Sex is only one chapter. It's chapter four, for those of you who want to know. I know some of you over here are wondering. <laughs> There's only one chapter in it because it, it's so much bigger, though, than, than what we tend to think of when it comes to, to pleasure. So let me give us a, a working definition that's a little bit broader than what we tend to think. Pleasure can be simply a cause or source of enjoyment or delight. Okay, real simple, a cause or a source of enjoyment or delight. Now, as you look at that, let me ask a simple question. Should we experience that with God? Absolutely. And we go, yeah, of course. Then why do we get so uncomfortable talking about pleasure? And why do Christians go, well, I'm not quite sure what we're supposed to do with pleasure and how we're supposed to find enjoyment and delight in our pursuit of God. And yet, I want to reframe the conversation because I think they, they go together. And I think both of those pursuits are taking us in the same direction. Now, a few years ago, I went to, to open up a new bank account at my bank in, in Arizona. And, and I don't know about you, but a trip to, to the bank to open up a new account ranks somewhere slightly above the DMV for me. And so I'm not really looking forward to this, and I'm wondering how long is this going to take. And so we go in there, and I, you know, I walk in, and there's this, this real bubbly uh, lady in her 20s that's standing by the door. And, and she greets me, and I'm like, hey, uh, I'm here to open up a bank account. And she's like, oh, excellent. I would love to help you right this way. And I was a little bit annoyed by how happy she was with this conversation. 
conversation. And so I'm like, all right. And so she takes me to her little uh, cubicle. She had like, there's this row of, of little cubicles lined up and they each had these little half walls. And so there's like no privacy, but you have this little space with a desk. And so I'm sitting across the, the table from her. And, and so she's typing, uh, you know, as we're having this conversation, she's not looking at me, she's typing, but, but she's asking me questions about, you know, what, what, what I need and what we're doing. And, and so as we start doing this, she begins to ask other questions. So she's typing away and she goes, hey, you know what, why are you opening up an account? I said, well, I'm about to, to release my first book. And, and I said, you know, my CPA recommended that I open an account for it. And she goes, oh, that's great. Congratulations. I'm like, well, oh, thank you. And, she, and then she asked me a question. She goes, are you a full-time writer? Now, it was the first time anyone had ever asked me that question, and it felt kind of good, you know? And so I wanted to say yes, but I'm a pastor, so you're not supposed to lie. And so I said, um, no, actually, I'm not a full-time writer. I said, I actually work at a church. Now, when I said that, she stopped typing, turned her head toward me, and then she said this, wait, you're a pastor? Now, I don't know how to describe for you the way that that word sounded totally different than the other words in that sentence. Um, it was like that word lingered on her lips a moment too long, hesitant to join the rest of the conversation. It, it was like she was describing an endangered species that she had read about and heard about, but had never met one up, up you know, close. And so she's like, I got some questions for you. I'm like, okay. And so she starts asking me all sorts of questions about God and about church and, and telling me a little bit of her story. And I realized this, this banking transaction just got a whole lot longer than it would have been. But I'm like, you know, I'm okay with this. So we start talking about her journey. And, you know, she's telling me about her and her boyfriend go to a Catholic church. And, and yet she's telling me that she's considering ch checking out other churches, you know, something similar to, to my church. And so we're, we're just talking about that. And, you know, she's giving me all this. And it's just a really great conversation. Well, by the time we get done with all the business part, of it. She goes, okay, all you need to do is take this little slip of paper, go up to the counter over there. They're going to give you a receipt, bring it back to me, and then we're done. I said, no problem. So I do that. I walk over to the counter, get the receipt, walk back over, and I'm ready to say goodbye to my new bubbly friend. Uh, when she, she leans over the table and she goes, can I ask you one more question? Now, I got a little bit nervous here because she'd already asked me a whole bunch of questions, so I wasn't sure why she was prefacing this one. But very seriously, she looks at me and she says, what do you think about premarital sex? I'm sorry, what did you just say? Now remember, we're in a little row of cubicles. There is no privacy to this conversation at all. I've got customers next to me, other bank employees. I mean, it's like, we're, this is right here. And I'm like, you're really just going to ask me this question. But it's shocking to me that, that she would ask a complete stranger, let alone a bank customer, this question about her sex life shows me how many people have no idea how to pursue pleasure the right way. How many people are going, you know what, I know there's something to this and I don't think I'm doing it right, but, but I want to live a life that, that has the most pleasure possible. And, and this lady just asked me this bold question because she thought maybe you have some insight that I haven't gotten yet. And it's amazing to me how many people I've met that have the same type of, of, of uh, situation. How many Christians would say, yeah, I'm not really sure how, how to experience pleasure in my life in, in the way that I also view God. And so as I think about this topic, you know, I knew back in high school I wanted to write this book because I grew up as a preacher's kid. And so I grew up around Christians and, and I watched this really silly uh, choice that a lot of people made between two extremes. 
On the one hand, people would say, you know what? I want to choose God. And I, I want to follow God. I think God is real. And so therefore, I, I forbid pleasure in my life. I leave it behind. I will not experience any pleasure. And so these Christians can a lot of times become very legalistic. And, and so they may know Jesus and they may have, you know, some of that. But you're not going to want to spend a Friday night with them, if you know what I'm talking about, you know? And, and so you have these Christians that, that enter into this category of, you know, all God and no pleasure. And then, then there's the other extreme. People would say, you know what? Um, God might exist. He might be real. Uh, but I'm enjoying my life. And, and I, and I want to pursue pleasure. And if God expects me to give that up to follow him, I'm not willing to do it. And so therefore, they forego God and they choose pleasure. And I remember watching these two and going, why do most people go to one of these two extremes? Well, why don't we understand this topic differently and understand it the way God made it? And yet that's why we have phrases like guilty pleasures, because we just associate pleasure of, of something's off, something's wrong there because of the way we, we tend to look at it. And if we're honest, this, this has to do with our view of God, has to do with our view of sin, uh, of the way that we make choices apart from God. I love the way that, that Craig Rochelle said it. He said, if you don't think sin is fun, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> that's a pastor saying that, okay? And there's some truth to that. In the moment... Guys, if you've lived life, you understand this. In the moment, sin can be fun. But if you've lived long enough, you also have seen some of the results of that. You know what? It wasn't worth that moment. And yet for so many of us, we don't know how to separate that. We don't know how to make sense out of that journey. And, and so I want to talk about that today. And the last summer, uh, my family moved into a, a new home. It wasn't a new build. It was just new to us. And, and whenever you move into a new home, you, you find all these interesting quirks out about your place. You know, like, hey, this, this door doesn't quite shut all the way. And, and, you know, this thing's a little off. And you start finding out the, the weird, you know, just things uh, about where you're living. And so one of the things that I found out that was really interesting is in our master bathroom, we have two sinks and there's just tile right in front of it. And I noticed, you know, late at night, if I would be brushing my teeth barefoot, that the tile on my floor in front of my sink would be warm to the touch. And it was really quite nice to be honest with you. And the best part about it is if you would just go a few tiles over, it wasn't warm on my wife's side. It was just warm on my side. So it made it even better. And so I would enjoy this. But, but here's the thing. We don't have heated floors. So there's a part of me that thought, you know what? I'm enjoying this, but I shouldn't be, right? Now, in Arizona, you know, it gets really cold, so we got to have our, our heated floors. It's a joke, thank you. It's a joke, people, come on. So I was enjoying this, and, and yet there's something that's this nagging sense of every time I thought, ooh, that's nice, I, it was accompanied with a thought of it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be nice. Now, here's the deal. Um, I focus most of my time around words and communication. I don't know a lot about home repair or, or what's going on. So I literally had no idea what was causing this. I didn't even know what, what, possible, uh, you know, uh, what possibly could be leading to that. And so I reached out to one of my friends and I said, hey, uh, when you get a chance, no rush, but when you get a chance, um, could you come over and check this out? Because I think something's going on uh, with, my, with my floor here. It's, it's heated, but it's not supposed to be. And he's like, yeah, you know, when do you need me? I'm like, oh, just whenever, you know, let's just set something up. And, and again, no rush because it's nice. Uh, but, but, you know, when you get around to it. And it strikes me, that's how most of us, we approach pleasure. Where we, we enjoy it. We know this, this is nice. It feels really good. And there's also this sense of it shouldn't be. And, and, and I, I shouldn't be enjoying this. And so many of us, we go, that's just normal. That's, that's how pleasure is. And that's the way the world's going to sell it to you. 
You know, yeah, you have pleasure, enjoy it. And yes, there's going to be something else lingering, but, but it's okay. Just, just enjoy it now. And yet I've realized this is not the way that God has designed it. And so in the book, I tackle all sorts of topics that, that Christians often get really uh, confused by. Like, how do we approach tobacco? How do we approach alcohol, sex, uh, parenting, work, entertainment? All these different areas where, where we want to find meaning and purpose, and yet we don't know how to navigate them. And, and how do we approach God in these different areas? And, and just unpacking the way it, it works. And as I've studied this, I, I've come to a realization that we have convinced ourselves of a powerful lie. And I would say this is, you know, Satan's handiwork that, that most of us have, have been convinced of this. And the lie is this, that you can have pleasure whenever and however you want it. Just however you want to do it. Just do it. And so the world will tell you things like, hey, as long as you're not hurting anyone, do whatever makes you feel good. And we go, yeah, that, that makes sense. That sounds good. And so we think this is going to be the, the way for me to experience the most pleasure. And here's what I found. The more you pursue pleasure on your terms you actually experience less of it. It's the great irony that that our world will never tell you. That as you experience pleasure on your terms, when you call the shots, you go, hey, I'm gonna customize just for me. Whenever you do that, you actually experience less of it. But the reverse is also true. That when we experience pleasure on God's terms, we experience more of it. And when we go, God, I'm going to trust you in this area, God says, okay, watch what I will do. Watch how my uh, plan works. Watch how, how I will take care of you and how I will provide for you. And it's a totally different way of looking at pleasure. Now, I want you to think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. For some of you, this is really easy. Maybe you're very familiar with the story. Maybe you heard the story when you were a kid, or, or maybe you're just kind of hazy on all the details. Now, if you go back to the story of Adam and Eve, these, these two iconic people in the creation narrative, and, and they're living in this utopia, this Garden of Eden. Everything is just flawless. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. It is just pleasure all around them. And if there's one condition that God gives to them, There's one thing he says, as you are enjoying all of this, just don't eat from one tree. That's my only request of you. Now, I don't want you to yell this out. I want you to just think about it to yourself. But can you remember which tree it was? Okay, so some of you are trying to rattle your brains around. Like, okay, it might be really easy for you. You're like, oh, I know exactly what tree it is. Maybe it's a little trickier for you. And you're like, well, I don't really remember. Let me give you some options if you're a little hazy on it, okay? Here's what it could be. Uh, Maybe it's a tree of evil. Right? And God's going, look, that fruit embodies everything that I'm against. So don't eat from that fruit because it, it is literally evil. It could, could be a tree of evil. Maybe it's a tree of pleasure. And God's like, whoa, that, there's, you'll enjoy that too much. Don't eat from that because you can't handle that much pleasure. Maybe that's the, the kind of tree it is. Uh, maybe it's a tree of life. And God's like, hey, I don't want you to experience that. that that's the tree that's, uh, that's off limits. Or if we're honest, maybe it was just some stupid placebo tree that God put there as a joke. You know, like, let's just see if they do it. I, I don't know. You might wonder all those. But here's the, here's the answer. The tree was none of those that, that God forbade them to eat. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, that you're like, yeah, of course that's a tree. But let's stop for a moment and, and view that the way a non-Christian would or someone who's hearing it for the very first time. A tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the tree that's off limits. Doesn't that sound a little bit weird? Why is that a bad thing to have? Why is the knowledge of good and evil wrong for Adam and Eve to experience? Because if we're honest, isn't that what what all great religious teachers are are trying to offer us? The knowledge of good and evil? Isn't that what each of those self-help books at your local bookstore is telling you? Like how to have the knowledge of good and evil? 
Isn't that what we're all pursuing is this knowledge of good and evil? And what you realize is this tree offered them the knowledge of good and evil apart from God. That no longer would they need to rely on their relationship with God, their, their trust of God. They would be able to determine this for themselves. And so God says, look, I didn't design you for this. I don't want you to have this responsibility. This is something I will provide for you in relationship together. But Adam and Eve decided, you know what? That's not good enough for us. We want to experience it on our terms. So I want to show you in, in Genesis chapter 3, the way that the creation narrative plays this out, because this is fascinating for us to, to, to learn from today. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. This is a description of pleasure. I mean, can you imagine how good that fruit had to be? I mean, here's how I envision the scene. It's like, you know, Eve's standing there. She takes a bite of it, and she's like, whoa, this is amazing. Adam, are you feeling this? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Like, Adam, this is amazing. And, and just having this moment of, of euphoria, of pleasure. It's like, oh, what have we been missing? This is incredible. And then notice the very next phrase. And they realized they were naked. That's a description of consequences. Immediately after they experience pleasure, bam, something's wrong. We're incomplete. We're missing something. There's something off about us now. They didn't feel that a moment before. But as soon as they experience pleasure on their terms, they also get with it consequences. They immediately follow afterward. And then it says this, so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And this is a description of shame. And so here in the, the early pages of Scripture, you have the cycle of pleasure that most of us continue to pursue today. Pleasure on our terms, the consequences, and the shame. And then we wonder why this is so hard for us to reconcile pleasure with God. Because for most of us, when I say pleasure, you think of consequences and shame from past decisions you've made where you have experienced the pleasure on your, on your terms. And so you go, oh, that, that can't be godly. That can't be something God's okay with because all I had from it was consequences and shame. But this is not the cycle that God intended for us. This is not the cycle God invites us to experience. This is what happens when we pursue pleasure on our terms and we experience less of it. God's saying, look, trust me. Pursue pleasure on my terms, and I'll allow you to experience more of it. Now, imagine if a year later you could follow up with Adam and Eve. You say, hey, hey, guys, just, I'm just curious. Um, a, a year now, you, you've had life outside the Garden of Eden. Uh, I'm just curious, would you do it again? Was it worth it? Is life in the wilderness better than life in the garden? I suspect they would say, absolutely not. It was a bad trade. It was a bad deal that we exchanged something we had no idea we were exchanging, and we would not have done that again. And yet, we fall into the same trap they did over and over again. Every time we say, God, yeah, I know what you're saying to me, but I think I know better. I, I think I know how to experience pleasure more than you might. And we make the same trap of, of pleasure in our terms, consequences, and then shame. 
Now, weeks later, I would find out um, why the, the, the tile was, was warm uh, in front of my sink. It turns out the reason why is because we had a hot water leak under our foundation. So one day, I'm alone with our, our four kids. My wife was at work. She's a realtor, so she's driving around. And, and so I'm at home with our kids, and, uh, and I go to the hallway, and I step, and I hear that sound. And you're like, oh, that's bad. And so I look, and our dog's water dish was right there. And so I, my first thought was, because the lights weren't all on, I was like, oh, maybe uh, the dog's water dish is leaking. And so I pick the water dish up, and I walk over, and I put that in the kitchen, grab a little towel, put the towel down, think oh, this will just, you know, soak it up. And it's like, instantly, the, the towel's fully drenched. And I'm like, Whoa, that's, that's a lot of water. So I start flipping the lights on, and I realize it's, it's flooded here. It goes out into the hallway down that way, goes into a closet, goes into our master bedroom. Then I'm like, oh no, my heated floor. I go around into my bathroom, and it is just a pool in, in my bathroom. And I'm like, oh, this is so bad. This is so bad. And so I'm alone with the kids, and I'm like, I got to figure this out. So I run outside. I shut the water off. I'm grabbing like every towel I can find. I'm trying to soak it up. Meanwhile, my kids are like, slip and slide. This is amazing. Like running up and down the halls. You know, they think it's awesome. And I'm like stressed out trying to get all this cleaned up. And then once I get the, the, the problem under control, I shut the water off. I've cleaned it up. You know, all this standing water. I realize I've got to call my wife, Michelle. I, I've got to tell her what's going on so, so she can come home and, and she can kind of prepare herself for this. And so I'm like, she's at work, but I, I, gotta, I gotta call her and tell her. So I got on the phone with her and I realized I could probably uh, ease her into this, you know, just because she's driving. And so I'm like, hey, hon, what you doing? She's like, I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm driving around. Like, what, you know, what's going on? I'm like, um, yeah, I just want to see how your day was going. It's, it's good. Why, why are you calling me? Well, hey, you remember that how like in our bathroom, how like my floor is heated? You remember that? She's like, yeah. I, I figured out why. She's like, why? I'm like, because we have a hot water leak and our house is flooding. She's like, what? I'm like, yeah, our, our house is flooding right now. And so I start explaining this to her. Now, here's the best part of this story. I have a picture of my wife. The exact moment I told her all this. You ready for this? Here's the picture of my wife. In case you can't figure that out, that's a photo radar ticket. I'll give you a minute. Some of you will get that. That's my wife in a yellow shirt in, a, in our car, and she's holding her hand up because she's talking to me on the phone. Uh, and so here's the way the conversation went. I'm like, honey, our house is flooded. It's really bad. You got to get home. And she's like, ah, I just got a photo radar ticket. I'm like, ah, God, why? Why are you letting all this happen at once? And it's like, oh, this is so bad. Just get home. And so it's just like stacking on top of each other. She gets a ticket. You know, our house is flooded. We have to have an emergency plumber come out there. He's like, hey, it's your hot water. I got to shut your hot water off. I'm like, hey, no big deal. We can handle hot water. You know, no hot water for a couple days. Until I realize your kids start getting really smelly without bathing. And so then we're having to like shut our kids to other people's houses to bathe them. And it's like this whole ordeal. Uh, it takes like a week until someone can come out there and look at it. And then they're like, um, yeah, we have to figure out where the leak is. Uh, and we think it's underneath your, your sink, your double sink. I'm like, okay, so do you just like, just like reach underneath that and, and, and get it? Or how do you do that? They're like, no, no, we've got we to like pull it all out. What do you mean pull it all out? So let me show you a before picture. Uh, this is what uh, my, my bathroom looked like. Now, the sink on the right there, that was my sink. And if you look closely, you can see my beloved warm tile. Uh, that, that was so good to me. Uh, and here's a picture after they uh, did the work. Same, same image you're looking at there, same, same point of view. 
So yeah, so we could use your prayers if you uh, think about it. Um, so that right there, you're looking at the dirt underneath my house um, that is now coming up through my bathroom. Um, so that was part of the, uh, the whole ordeal uh, of fixing it. And, and after all of that, after they rip everything out, they, they find the, the pipe that has a leak, and sure enough, and they, they cut it out and replace it. And, and it was really weird. The plumber said, hey, do you want to keep the pipe? Like, what, why are you, is this like something you, like, you guys offer this as a service? Like, hey, here's the pipe that destroyed your, your bathroom, you know? And I'm like, you know what? I'm a preacher. We save these kind of things. I'll take it. So I brought with me the pipe. Now, right here, I don't know if you can see this. There's a little hole. You couldn't even fit a pencil through this hole. Um, that is the little leak that caused the warm floor that I enjoyed um, and also caused the forced renovation uh, of my bathroom that cost me thousands of dollars to, to have to, to do. And, and I've had a lot of time to, to think deeply about this pipe and to wrestle with God about this. And we've had a lot of conversations about it. And, and here's my epiphany that I've, I've arrived at after all of this. Okay, you ready for this? The pleasure of the heat on my floor is not worth the leak in my house. Can I get an amen? Amen. The pleasure of the heat on my floor is not worth the leak in my house. And here's the, here's the bigger epiphany. I do this all the time. I bet you do too. Every single time we say, God, yeah, 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 I know better than you. God, hey, I can figure out good and evil. I, I can decide what's best for me. God, I know better than what you're saying. We, we make a very bad deal. And every single time we do this, I think God goes, why would you make that trade? Why would you do that? We go, oh, God, no, but I, I got this figured out. I, I know better. See, every single time we say, God, there's, there's something here that you, you just don't understand. Like, I know better than you. I, just let me, just trust me. And every single time we choose pleasure on our terms, we go, oh, this, this feels good. See, God, I told you this is, this, is, this is right. And yet, you know, there's a leak coming. You know, there's something else coming. God's going, this is not the way I designed you. This is not the life I intend for you. I have something so much better. I love the way that C.S. Lewis said it. He said, all get what they want. They do not always like it. The reality is that God will let you choose whatever you want. And shockingly, he'll let you choose something other than him. And and see, if I was God and I was all powerful, I might just make people go, hey, here's what's best for you. I'm just going to make you do it because this is what's best for you. But God, in in his sovereignty and his his power, says, you know what? I'm going to let you choose. If you want to choose something else, you want to choose a a momentary pleasure on your terms, I'll let you do it. But I'll I'll be heartbroken over it because you're getting less pleasure, less out of life than I have intended for you. And yet, so many of us do this all the time. But by pursuing pleasure on God's terms, we actually experience more of it. So what would it take for us to to do this differently, to to live and, and experience God and pleasure? I think it would take a radical trust in Jesus. Not just a, hey, Jesus, you're good, we like you, but, but a radical trust where we think that God is, is so much like Jesus, that he is so good, that anything he would ask of us is always going to be good. And here's the problem I've realized. Why we might say that at church and go, oh yeah, that's what I believe. That's not our default position. Our default position with the world, which then gets uh, assumed onto God, is one of mistrust. Oh, what are you trying to sell me? What are you trying to get from me? And so we have this, this barrier up against us. 
Uh, a few months back, I was renting a car. I was traveling. I don't remember where I was, but I was renting a car. And, and if you've rented a car before, you know that there's a lot of upselling they try to do to you of like hey, all these extra things that they can tack on. And so I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant whenever I go into this situation because I know what, what's going to get asked of me. So I'm renting my car and the lady says to me all these you know, questions. I'm like, no, no, I don't need that. And then she says, do, do you want a charger? I'm like, no, I don't want a charger. Thinking, I, I brought a phone charger with me. Who doesn't carry a phone charger these days? I've got this. Like, I don't need it. And so she looks at me and she goes, you don't want a charger? I'm like, look, lady, I used to work in sales. I know what you're doing here. Trying to upsell me, make me think I need this. I don't need this. I have a charger in my bag. I'm totally good. So I'm like, no, I don't want a charger. And then she gives me this really weird look, the kind of look where you stop and you think, am I missing something here? And so I look at her and I'm pausing for a second. And then it dawns on me. I say to her, are you talking about a Dodge charger? And she's like, yes, I'm trying to give you a free upgrade then yes, I will take that card. <laughs> but here's the reality. I don't assume that she's trying to give me a free upgrade. I assume she's trying to sell me something and that it's in her best interest. And so because we, we interact with people like that, we assume that's how God is. And so when we go to God, we go, oh, gotta be careful. You don't know what God's gonna ask of you. He might make you move to Africa or he's gonna ask for a bunch of your money or make you serve at a church. And we start going, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And God's going, really? I'm trying to give you a free upgrade. Why are you saying no to this? And so God's going, look, come on. I'll bring all that you are to me and watch what I do with it. You think you're going to get something better somewhere else? You're not. God is the source of pleasure. And that's why in the book, I, talk, I spend two chapters just on our view of God. Because what I have realized is if you don't think God is good, and you don't think God looks like Jesus, you're never going to get to the conclusion that God created pleasure and knows how to get the most out of it. But if you can connect those together and you start seeing God as this beautiful, sacrificial person of Jesus Christ, you start going, wow, I'm crazy if I don't trust him. I'm crazy if I don't submit every area of my life to him because he knows what's best for me. And if you read the Bible and you experience this Christian journey and you're not getting that view of God, you're missing something. I gotta be honest, one of the reasons I love this church is because you guys hear this view of God all the time. And sadly, it's not normal in a lot of churches today. But you hear this beautiful, Jesus-looking God all the time. And I hope you embrace it. I hope you realize that's who he really is. Because that is what is required for you to submit to him. If you don't think he's that good, you'll have a hard time trusting him in all these areas. But this is why Jesus says in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is my, my hesitancy of you're trying to sell me something, trying to push something on me. He says, no, no, no. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm going to give you more pleasure than you know what to do with if you would just trust me. And this is not a prosperity gospel of, oh, if I do this, my kids will start behaving. I'll get a promotion at work and, and all my bills will be paid. No, no, no. God's going, look, I got an upside down kingdom that will not make sense to you. I'll ask you to do things. I'll be so radically different from the culture around you. You go, God, if I don't think you're good, I can't get through this. And God's going, trust me. Watch what I do. Watch the worst situation you can imagine and watch what I do with it. Watch a situation that looks hopeless and watch how I redeem it. Watch how I turn a broken story story until a beautiful story of hope through the gospel. And this is the message God is calling us to. And so if we live a, a boring faith, it's our fault. Blame us for it. God is inviting us into an incredible experience if we would trust him. By pursuing pleasure 
on God's terms, we experience more of it, and we experience him as we trust him. I want to close by returning to the story I began with. My, my, my bubbly bank teller who asked me the awkward question, what do you think about premarital sex? <clears throat> I don't know what you would say to her in that moment. I don't know if you would quote a verse to her. I don't know if you would tell her, oh, here's what you should be doing, and here's what you shouldn't be doing. And I, I don't know if you'd give her a speech or how you would answer that. But as I thought in that moment, I, I just kind of got quiet, and I realized here's an opportunity that I have to, to, to hopefully try to speak truth into her life. So I looked at her, and I said, let, let me just guess. Based on what you've already shared with me, here's my guess, is that you live with your boyfriend, you guys are sleeping together, not to create a family, and, and you probably feel pretty guilty about it. Now, when I said this, her eyes got really big, and she looked at me like Dr. Phil had just gazed into her soul. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. and she's like, that's exactly how I feel. I said, okay, here's the deal then. Here's what I think you need to hear. God's not mad at you. He's not angry with you. He's not wanting to punish you. God is sad for you because you are making a decision. You're making a trade that is in your, uh, not in your best interest. And so when you pursue pleasure, you pursue sex outside of marriage, I think you're experiencing it the way God doesn't, didn't design it. I think God's wishing that you would experience it his way and, and experience more out of it. I said, and it has to do with all pleasures, that whenever we decide we know best, we're going to do it on our terms. God says, you're going to get less of it. Why would you want that deal? And when I said this to her, it was like the conversation totally changed. Because so often we just view God as, oh, if I don't do what he wants, he's going to punish me. He's going to send me to that place, you know. And it's like that's such a damaged, broken view of God. He is a good, good father who wants to lavish his goodness upon you if you will trust him. And yet my, my bank teller, she's experiencing the pleasure of the heat on the floor. She knows a flood's coming and it is eating away at her. And God does not want any of us to live life like that. And so here's my, my challenge to you. I want you just to think, what, what's, what's the pipe in your life right now? What's that area that you just don't trust God? If you're honest, you just don't trust him yet. You might trust God here, here, and here, but, but there's that one area you're still holding on to. And you're going, hey, I kind of like the way it is right now, God. I'm enjoying it. And yet you know you shouldn't be. You know there's, there's, a, there's a flood coming. It's not because God's going to punish you. It's because you're experiencing it outside the way he designed it. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a relationship you have. And you know things are off. Things are broken. And you're not fixing them. And you know what you need to do, but you're not doing it. And God's going, hey, why don't you trust me in that area? Maybe it's the way you view your money. Oh, it's my money. You don't get to tell me how I spend my money. God's going, just, just trust me. That, that maybe if you would surrender that area of your life, I would do something amazing. Maybe it's your career. You know, I, I got to advance. I got to do this. I got to do that. And God's going, just, just trust me. Your family, I don't know what it is for you, but I, I suspect all of us have some areas that, that we haven't fully turned over to God yet. We haven't fully allowed him. And to whatever area, to whatever degree this is true of you, you're experiencing less of what God wants for you. And I just encourage you today, trust him. Just invite him in. Go, God, I, I surrender you. Not just a few areas. I surrender all of it to you. And watch as he gives you life to the full, as he brings you into this kingdom life that he designed you for. And it is something the world will never be able to offer you. When we pursue pleasure on God's terms, we actually experience more of it. Well, if you would, please stand with me. I want to close this in prayer. And we're gonna, I'm going to invite our prayer partners up front. And, 
And if, you, uh, if you're sitting here and, and the Holy Spirit's making it real obvious to you, like, hey, that's your area, that's your pipe, um, I'm going to invite you to come forward and pray with someone about it and go, here's, here's the area for me. Here's the area I haven't been able to trust him yet. And watch what happens as you begin to invite God in that area. Someone prays with you over that and you allow God to, to bring you into a brand new experience. I encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. Well, Father, thank you that you are a good, good Father. That the view of God we see is a Jesus-looking God that is good. And God, if we, if we expect goodness or pleasure to come from any other source other than you, we're going to be disappointed. And any area that we think that we know best, that we, we fall into the same trap as Adam and Eve, and we decide to experience pleasure on our terms, God, would you just show us that we're going to experience less of what we want? But if we would learn to trust you, to trust you in all areas of our life, that we would experience this life to the full that you told us about. God, as your church gathered here, as your, your church who's watching online right now, God, I pray that we would trust you, that we would lean into this uh, conversation, that we would, we would lean into pursuing you and, and, and enjoying you, and experiencing delight in you as we follow after you, as we experience this kingdom life you've invited us to. There's so much more than us that you want us to be a part of. God, would you make that happen uh, and in our midst as we trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week.